Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin. Hey, everyone. It's Danny Kopke. And this is Michael Thomas. On today's episode, we're talking about stock market crashes. We're 13,000 feet up in the air. Skydiving is a great analogy for a market crash. When your portfolio is losing tons of money overnight, it's really scary. And you know what? It might not feel like the drop will ever stop. But eventually, the market will bounce back. Just like when you go skydiving. I think you are thinking of bungee jumping. Yes. Yes, you are right. I feel like this is a good analogy as well. Know what you're getting yourself into? I wish I had a parachute instead of all these bungee cords. The stock market is a place where people trade stocks, which are themselves these tiny, tiny little bits of ownership in a company. Apple, for example, has 5 billion shares floating around out there. And that's just one company. Do you know that 5 billion? That's a lot of teeny tiny pieces of Apple. And that's just Apple. But there are over 45,000 publicly traded companies. So all these shares within all these companies means every single day, 315 billion transactions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I did the math because I was curious. Sounds that right. means <laughs> three and a half million trades per second. Wow. Every second. Wow. And we are talking about people making these trades, and uh, all of us in this room have been investing ourselves. But most of those transactions are now handled by robots. I had students in class the other day where I had actually shared news concerning Tesla and Elon Musk. And one of my students just pulled out his phone right then and there and just immediately made a trade. (laughs) Based on instantly. So it's interesting how technology, robots, it's like literally at the swipe of a phone. Imagining 315 billion trades a day is just too much for your brain to handle. It makes more sense if we think about something tangible. And we can do that with any physical object that's going to be passed around the room. So we happen to have here a bunch of nothing funny about money t-shirts. So I have enough of these things at home. I'm hoping to sell one right now. So how about we start the bidding off for $5? Does anybody want a $5 t-shirt? I'll take it for $5. Okay, cool. I'll do it for 6 Oh, six. Okay. Well, I really like it. I think it's a, a great T-shirt. I'm going with seven. Oh, I'm liking this now. Seven fifty. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going up to ten. Ten dollars. Wow, it's doubled in value already. Chris, do you want in on this at all? You know, it's a good-looking shirt, so I'd, I'd I'd go fifteen on it. Seventeen. Seventeen. Oof. You don't want the shirt. <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling. All right, I'm selling it to Michael. Here you go, seventeen dollars shirt. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I pre- what time is it? Uh, it's about noon. I haven't eaten lunch. Uh oh. Hmm. 
And actually, the money that I just gave you was all the money that I have. And I'm actually going to be meeting with somebody. Can I sell the shirt? It was your shirt, man. Would, would, you some, would someone like to buy it for for 20 off of me? It sounds like a you problem. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm happy to just pocket my $17. Thank need... you very much. All right. Well, you know, I know you're hungry, but you may have to go to fast food today because I'll give you five for it. Nobody else is going to give me anything else. After I'll... all the time we spent together. I was going to offer four. That's okay. All right, Danny. I'll take the five dollars. Oh, poor Michael Thomas. No, no, don't poor me. <laughs> All that just demonstrated one trade for one stock or one T-shirt, and what happened there is actually pretty realistic. It takes a little bit of time for these things to rise in value, but the falls can happen really quickly. And remember that there are billions of these trades going on every single day. So to uh, simplify things a little here, we're going to talk about indexes of stocks. The most popular index for stocks in the United States is the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is a collection of about the 500 largest companies in the United States, mm -hmm. weighted by how much they are worth. Been around since 1926, so been around for Some a long, <laughs> long, long time. And uh, it averages about 10% growth Every single year. That 10% average, though, isn't what you'd expect to get every single year. There's actually a lot of variability. Mm -hmm. Some years it does better, and some years it does much worse and actually loses money. We know that the market is going to move very similar to the example that we just played out for you. Initially, I was in a great position in thinking, hey, I can make this happen. I'm going to buy this amazing T-shirt. But then I started to realize that there were some other personal things in my life that I hadn't taken care of, and I tried to sell to people who I'm considered friends, and they wouldn't <laughs> buy them. One of the reasons people have to get out is those personal reasons. Now, someone's really bad day might be someone else's really good day, mm -hmm. but if you look at some recent events, a lot of us at the same time had bad days and needed to get out. And I'm thinking specifically about 2008 and the big recession that we had then. A lot of people lost their jobs, people were losing their homes, and they just needed to pull any cash they could out of the stock market. Absolutely. Well, and we can just even take a look at my investing career. So I started investing in 2000 after I graduated from college, and I got my first teaching job. Since 2000, the market has been down 37% one year and up 32% another, and then all in between in the other years. If we look only day by day by day, it's almost like a coin flip. If you look at historical returns, the S&P 500, about 54% of days have positive returns, but about 46 have negative returns. Day by day, look at all that volatility. But over long periods of time, it actually doesn't lose money all that often. Mm -mm. What if we stretch it out to five years of investing? Look at all these different five-year periods. 86% of them had positive returns. Mm -hmm. Stretch it out to 20 years, 100% of 20-year periods in the S&P 500 have had positive returns. I didn't believe that when I first read that because I was thinking 1988 yep. to 2008. Yep. How could it possibly be positive? Hey, man, you don't believe me. Look it up yourself. And Even that was and a I think, positive return. I think it's representative of this idea that the, the markets, the stock markets, are representative of, of companies. And these are these everyday companies that we're using. 
And the idea of any type of company is growth. So even if there are these downward trends uh, over a longer period of time, a company is going to do everything within its power to grow as a company because that's why it's a publicly traded company. <laughs> and for the stock market to completely crash, that means that as soon as we walk out of this booth, we have nothing to go to. There's nothing left. There's nothing there. So the system in which these things operate, they're constantly trying to grow. I think people know rationally that that's what they're supposed to do. Leave their money in. Don't touch it. Ride out that roller coaster. But as with everything on the show, the psychology matters. And the pain of losing money is a really sharp pain. And it's fortunately one of the most studied emotions in the world. And here's a little bit of trivia for you all. Do you know there's no Nobel Prize in psychology? Yeah, it's true. Richard Thaler? No. He's psychology, is he not? Or is he? Economics. He's economics. Yeah, so there is a Nobel Prize in economics, but not one in psychology. So to be a psychologist who wins the Nobel Prize is a really rare thing. And one of the gentlemen who did that was Daniel Kahneman, and he won his award for Prospect Theory. Prospect theory explains that we process information in an illogical way by valuing gains and losses differently. Expressed in financial terms, the amount of joy gained from receiving $50 should be equal to a situation in which you gained $100 and then lost $50, as both results in a net gain of $50. But most people view the single gain more favorably than the gain and loss scenario. Because the feeling of pain due to a loss is two to three times greater than the joy felt from an equivalent gain. That clip is from Salmon Investments. You can learn more at behavioraleconomics.com. Prospect theory is actually my favorite theory. They are comparing basically classical economic theory, which assumes rationality. So if I put an input in, a person is going to optimize their utility, and I should be able to calculate what that utility would be. People don't behave in the way that we expect them to behave. And this has completely revolutionized the way that we're beginning to think about the services that we provide in the industry. Yeah, people are not those robots that are trading. We're emotional animals, and we don't behave rationally. And one of my favorite demonstrations of this, you can do at home. Anybody can do this. Take a coin, a fair coin, and then try to do this game with your friends. It starts off with, if I flip the coin and it's heads, I will give you a dollar. I'll give you, my friend, a dollar. But if it's tails, then you have to give me a dollar. Now, that's a perfectly fair game. In fact, that's better odds than you get in Vegas. (laughs) Usually, you lose money if you go to Vegas. Better odds. How many people want to take that coin flip game? Like nobody. Nobody wants the fair coin. It's incredible. They're thinking to themselves, I can lose a dollar. I'll have to give this up. And that loss hurts more than the gain feels good. Now, here's an even better game. Say, if I flip this coin and it's heads, I'll give you a dollar and ten cents. If it's tails, you just have to give me a dollar. Everyone in the world should take that. And they should say, let's flip like a million of these coins. (laughs) How many people take that? Still, basically nobody. They're so obsessed with losing the dollar. 
keep doing this. See how high you have to get with your friends at home. If you take prospect theory at face value, mm-hmm. you have to give up 2 or $3 before they're willing to take the bet. However, you do have people where this is kind of exciting to somebody who's listening right now because like, I'll take that bet and I'll take that bet. I'll take that bet. I've talked to students who are like, how can I, as an 18-year-old with no money and $10,000 in debt, start investing for the first time? Exactly. Yeah, shouldn't. That's how. (laughs) On the flip side, most people think about losing money. That's a big part of why so many people avoid getting into the stock market in the first place. Well, and the news doesn't help because a lot of times... That's all we're fed is constantly, oh, the market's down, market's down. And we're going to talk about in a little bit coming up how to kind of minimize that risk. Because a lot of people, it is tough. If I invest a huge amount of money in the stock market today and it goes down 50%, I'm going to be really upset. But if we systematically do it over time, the pain doesn't hurt as bad. So then we stay in it. If you're looking to become financially independent, the single best way to do it, if history's any guide, is to invest in the stock market. Facts. But that doesn't make it any less scary. Coming up, we talk about investing for the first time. After that, we'll focus on managing the ups and downs of the market over your career, and then get into what you should consider if you're close to retirement. And as always, we'll hand out some practical tips. Stay tuned. All that and more after the break. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Elwood and Getz, Athens' only wealth management firm registered with the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, offering fee-only comprehensive retirement planning. AthensWealthManagement.com. Before we go any further, a tip of the hat to our audio engineer, Garrett Burke, who made that and uh, all of our good sound effects. If you're looking for an audio engineer, check him out, Garrett, W-B-U-R-K-E dot com. In case you didn't know, those clips were coming from Jim Cramer's show, Mad Money. Jim's show is all about picking individual stocks and trying to time the market. As we talked about on a previous episode, we don't think picking individual stocks is the way to go for first-time investors. Rather, we think they should stick with index funds. Yeah, I think that talking about individual stocks and all the numbers that come along with that make investing scarier than it really is. Because picking an index fund is as simple as saying, I want the S&P 500, Mm -hmm. and you're done. It's not that simple. (laughs) How is it not that simple? (laughs) It's not that simple because we do this all the time in the financial planning sphere of things. We tell people to go invest. We tell them to go to Vanguard. We tell them to go to Schwab. We tell them to go. When they get in, you have several index funds to choose from. You have ETFs. You have stocks. You have this. You have that. You have whatever it may be. And then you go in and you select and you say, of these, which one do I select? 
then you have all this information that you're inundated with in terms of what is actually in these funds and whether these are life cycle funds or whether they da 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 it is not that simple and i i'm going to i'm going to get on my horse here because <laughs> that's why people aren't investing because it's yeah. not that simple and we say it over it, and well, over it's again simpler it's simpler. I just, I just have to say, we need to stop doing this because if we keep saying it's so simple and people aren't doing it, then why aren't they doing it? Because it's not that simple. So I have a wealth management class and I pulled up a statement, fidelity statement that I have for my 10 year old child. And they all sat back and was like, what is all that stuff in the statement? They didn't know how to read it. They're in a wealth yep. management class. These are college. It is not that easy. Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we we tell people it's so easy. No, it's then people wouldn't be in the positions that they're in if it was that easy. Yeah, right. I I think that I'm there, sorry. Y'all can disagree. Well, and that's fine. That's okay. But so you have just, to start somewhere. Yeah. There I there's something what like ten thousand different mutual funds and ETFs. My thought is that if you're getting into this for the first time and you're looking for a lot of diversification that's, across the world market, then it, to me, it's as simple as best index fund for first-time investors, Google search, pick one of the five, yeah, and there you go. Now, are you optimizing? Is it as good as it can be? I don't know. Maybe not. But at least you're in. Absolutely. And what I've seen so many young people do is try the Jim Cramer approach of am I buying the right individual company at the right time? All those things you're talking about, that's real. Absolutely. Multiplied by a thousand times over when you try to do it stock by stock by stock. Right. I think all of these things that we're talking about here can freak people out. It certainly freaked out my friend Hasem. He is a computer programmer up in Chicago. He works on Android operating systems. And when he first started investing, I did kind of what I just said everybody should do is just go find that good index fund. He really was afraid of losing some money. And because his experience had some ups and downs, and uh, I think he blames me for losing some of his money, uh, I thought, hey, let's have him come on the show. So here's a phone call that Haseman and I had where we talk about his experience investing for the first time. You didn't just move in with the parents while you were looking for a job, though. You lived with them for a while. Oh, true, yeah. And after I found the job, I also stayed with the parents. <laughs> <laughs> the job itself was out in the burbs, and my parents lived out in the burbs. So. Sure. And it kept your expenses pretty low. Yeah, exactly. It gave me an opportunity to, you know, save, not worry too much about rent and stuff. Sure. Not, not as if you were living on your own. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. The money coming in minus the expenses, do you recall about how much you were putting into a savings account about every month? Yeah, I think 2000-ish or something that I could just kind of keep. So that's not bad. This is about 10 years ago. You were banking, say, $25,000 a year. This was the same time that I was getting in, into investing for the first time. So we were kindred spirits about yeah. this stuff. and Exactly. And I was pretty <laughs> convinced that you know, sooner you get into investing, the better. That mm -hmm. took a little more convincing for you. You know, seeing the money come in and get into my bank account always felt like really good, and kind of just seeing those numbers up. And I didn't feel like I knew enough about investing to really do anything. And I was really like afraid of losing my money. 
I don't want to make the wrong investment, make the wrong call and see that money go down and kind of like a little just nervous because I just really didn't know anything about it. I think I was successful at convincing you to at first just focus on the 401k because it's more automatic. The investments are more chosen for you. Yeah. At yeah. that time, it was just, yeah, you kind of throw money in there and you're just like, okay, they're just going to do it. So whatever. <laughs> right. So you didn't have to know anything for the 401k. And then yeah, exactly. when you did have to pick your own investments, that's where analysis paralysis really set in. You recall the the spreadsheet that I sent you? I think we were running some kind of analysis because I think the idea is like once you have, if money's sitting in your savings account, like past your emergency fund, it's not really like helping you any. So we were looking at a few different scenarios of like, okay, you know, take all the money, dump it in the market right now, or like take it dump it over time and I think we had like a, a best case scenario and like average case scenario and the oh this totally won't happen uh, worst case scenario right and uh, which I think was plus to... 10% in the first year and yeah. minus 10% were the best and worst yeah worst case totally happened <laughs> yeah instantly <laughs> instantly lost 10% thanks <laughs> yeah i think it it wasn't only losing 10% over a year i think it in one month it was one of those errant months where you you know the market falls a little bit fortunately you did not put all the money from the savings account in immediately you only yeah, put a yeah. small chunk so you lost 10% of a small chunk of that but to your credit that's not the end of the story. You didn't pull the money back out and retreat <laughs> back to the savings account. Yeah, no, I, I decided to keep kind of sticking to the plan. I was like, okay, sure, this is the worst case. And even like as I'm putting the money in, I'm seeing the market go down. I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but uh, at a certain point, the market went up. And so all the money that I was putting in while the market was down just meant that I would end up kind of making that much more when the, when the market recovered. I eventually would kind of, you know, like, like that idea because, like, when the market went up, it, it looked nice to see the like, oh, wow, this is cool. It's kind of like getting like stocks on discount. I'm gonna like keep an eye out for it. And so when I'd see like the market go down again in some big noticeable percentage, then I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll throw more money at it. <laughs> right. And so it went from not knowing what the market's about, being a little anxious about it, avoiding it for years, to now the market goes down. And you get excited because you can put more in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Very recently, we've been having conversations about this. And I've noticed, if anything, you've become excited about risky investments. So now I think it's swung and you're way more risk tolerant than I am. Well, I guess in a certain sense. At the end of the day, I'm a really low-stakes investor. <laughs> you know, I buy, like, a share of something. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, yeah, I'm just looking at these, like, risky companies, and you're like, oh, man, no, dude, these are bubbles, dude. You can't, can't invest in these, man. They're going to they're gonna burst. It's like, no, nice try, Matt. I'm going to invest anyway. And so I bought two shares of some, <laughs> of some company at, like, a dollar. And then thought ballooning up, buying more shares over time, got all the way up to eight shares in this company. Wow. My $2 turned into $13. I was like, oh, man, I'm <laughs> king of the world. This is amazing. I made so much. 
and then you, and you were like, so, so, and I was right. like, Pocket no, your $11. I'm going to ride this bubble to the top. <laughs> 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 and then, uh, you know, it started getting, went back down to like nine or something. And then I was like, oh, I better put like a stop loss on this one. And then, uh, yeah, I eventually just sold all my shares. But you did, pocket, <laughs> you did pocket you did pocket a cool four dollars though off of that. A cool four dollars <laughs> times eight times Oh right oh sure, right, right, right. <laughs> so thirty two dollars. I don't want to sell you short. To go from savings account only for years to buying new IPOs. It's a big swing. We're all very proud of you. Uh, so <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so we'll see what the future holds. Hasem, thanks so much for being on our show. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. Sounds like Hasem did a great job setting money aside to invest every month. He wasn't trying to time the market. He was just going for an average return. And that strategy he used is called dollar cost averaging. Yeah, and it's basically when you invest a fixed amount every month over a year or in perpetuity and invest both when the market is up and when the market is down. The nice thing about dollar cost averaging is that when the market is doing well and it's going up, hey, you're making money because the market's going up. Mm-hmm. If the market goes down, you're buying shares at a discount. Absolutely. And actually, I, I had to explain this to my wife not too long ago. And I, and I told her, whenever you come home and you have bags, the first thing you tell me is, look at what I got. And guess how much I paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, I got this for $5, and it was originally $50. I was like, go ahead, babe. There you go. Go ahead, babe. And I was like, when we invest, that's actually what we're doing as well, understanding what we talked about earlier with the markets, because just because we're taking a dip doesn't mean that McDonald's is going to go anywhere. Just because we take a little bit of a dip doesn't mean Subway's, Subway's not going anywhere, right? But you have the opportunity to purchase some of the stock that we would have wanted to have purchased or an index fund at a cheaper amount Therefore, when it goes up, we get more for our value in the long run. And, babe, I was like, babe, that's exactly what you're doing when you're going out and you're bringing home bags. And you're like, oh, he's paid $30, but it was like $200 in value. I'm like, great, love. But that's what we're doing, too, when we're investing. Yeah. Actually, it's even better when we do it with investing. <laughs> exactly. Because the stocks keep going up in value, usually. And so we have a quick example here of how this might work. So imagine that you are going to invest $100 a month every single month. If you buy when a stock is trading at $5 a share, you get 20 shares. Mm-hmm. Five times 20 is $100. Well, let's say the stock takes a tumble. It goes down. It's only 4 bucks a share. Just keep putting your 100 bucks in. The next month, at $4 a share, you bought 25 shares. You now own even more when the market's gone down. It's important to keep your eyes on the long run because it definitely helps control your behavior And your emotions. And let's face it, that's why most of us get out of the market or we don't invest to begin with. And I do find it interesting, going back to Michael's conversation with his wife, stocks are the one thing in this country that we don't like to buy on sale. Everything else, we're like, hey, I got a deal, I got a deal. But when the stock market is down, especially for us younger people that have time on our side, it is the one thing that we're like, no, no, let's buy gold now. When gold's at an all-time high and stocks are at an all-time low, that's when everyone gets into that. And we have to change that. But that does come back to, to kind of being educated about it and knowing the average, the history of the market to know, okay, it should be okay. We've got to take a break, but before we go, it's quiz time. 
Dollar cost averaging is a great strategy. Sound confusing? Well, one special retirement plan does dollar cost averaging for you. What's the name of this plan and where can you get it? Think about it. Mull it over. Make bets with your friends. We'll get you that answer after the break. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Canon Financial Strategists, an advisory firm that helps organizations and individuals design, maintain, and monitor retirement plans for a better financial future. More information available at canonplanners.com. The market's down 800 points. What did you say? The market's down 800 points. That's a clip from the Don Hertzfeld cartoon. I'm a big Don Hertzfeld fan. Check his wacky stuff out. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Matt Gorin. I'm here with Michael Thomas and Danny Kofke. Before the break, we asked, what retirement plan does dollar cost averaging for you? It is a 401k, and you can get it through work. It might also be known as a 403b if you work at a nonprofit, like me as a school teacher. And there's payroll deductions and automatic investing. You never have to think about it. And it's a little bit harder to get your money out of a 401k. And while that might sound like a bad thing, it actually helps when there are down markets because you can't do the wrong thing and just sell everything. And another thing we like about the 401k and 403b is they are tax deferred, which will lead to higher gains. So all in all, these things are pretty good for retirement. If you want to take advantage of dollar cost averaging, check out your company's 401k. If you're already in a 401k and you've never thought about increasing your contributions, if you've never thought about what type of investments you have, whether or not you're getting a return that you're hoping that you were going to get, if you're listening right now, we want you to just find 10 or 15 minutes today to start thinking about, am I as mindful of my 401k? Because what happens is we set it and forget it. If you haven't checked into it, definitely find some time today, this week, whenever, and make sure that you're on track with hitting your goals. And if you need some help doing that, because this stuff, as Michael said before, can be so confusing, then reach out. Let us know. Visit us at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and send us a message. It's on the right side of the page. Or if you're not a website kind of person, you're a social media kind of person, we got a Facebook account. we got an Instagram account. Follow us. Let us know if you need help. And when the market tanks, it's so important to keep an eye on the future, to monitor those accounts. And that's exactly what made Warren Buffett so successful. We profile him as this week's wealthy person. Hey, this is Danny Kofke, and I'm here with this week's wealthy person. Every episode, we will focus on someone that lives a wealthy life. The person we are discussing today is someone I am sure most of you have heard of, legendary investor, Warren Buffett. The reason I am focusing on him this week is because of how he helps investors handle their fears when the stock market is in a downswing. Even when the market is down, I continue to follow the advice Mr. Buffett gives. He says others should not watch the market too closely and that buying and holding onto stocks is the best strategy. He explains a little bit more saying, the money is made in investments by investing and by owning good companies for long periods of time. 
if they, investors, buy good companies, buy them over time, they're going to do fine 10, 20, 30 years from now. Now notice, good companies and over time. So many of us focus on, we want that water cooler talk, hey, I got the latest, greatest thing in Bitcoin. Well, I mean, it could go up, could go down, who knows? But stocks, over time, historically, they go up. In looking for companies to invest in, Buffett uses the following example. If you had a chance to buy into a good company in your hometown, and you knew it was a good company, and knew good people were running it, and you bought it at a fair price, you wouldn't want to get a quote every day. Instead of frequently checking a stock's price, you'd look to the earnings and dividends over the years determining whether you made a good investment or not. And that's what people should do when investing in stocks. Here, Mr. Buffett discusses what it means to properly invest in something. It's the business I look at. When you're just looking at the price of something, you're not, you're not investing. I mean, if, if, if you buy something, Bitcoin, for example, or some cryptocurrency, uh, you're not looking to the asset itself to produce anything. If you buy an apartment house, you're looking at how the apartment house does. If you buy a farm, you're looking at the farm does. If you buy a whole business, you're looking at how the business does. If you buy a part of a business, why shouldn't you look at how the business is going to do? How refreshing is this advice? I know some disagree with this philosophy, but it is pretty hard to argue with the results Mr. Buffett has had. I mean, that would be like me telling The Rock he doesn't know how to work out properly, right? We need to start doing the same thing when it comes to investing and take advice from people who have proven they know what they are doing. Until next time, here's to living wealthy. Warren Buffett knows his stuff. He's one of the richest people in the world, and I really do admire the process by which he achieves his wealth. What some people might be saying is, I can't relate to that because I don't have billions of dollars lying around. <laughs> sure. So what should some of our more middle-class listeners be doing? Next up, we've got Alden Mergenthal. She's a partner at Elwood & Getz here in Athens, Georgia. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because they support the show, and we thank them for that. Let's hear what Alden has to say about making the most of a down market. So we're about 10 years removed from the mm -hmm. last big market crash. Should we be worried about another one? I think we should always be worried that one's going to occur. But it's not really being worried. I think it's more of seeing it as an opportunity and just being prepared to take advantage of it when it happens. Okay, that's like the exact opposite mm -hmm. of what most people would think. You're, you're thinking, let's be excited. Yeah, it's just thinking of buying equities when they're on sale. Okay. So I just kind of think of it like the Nordstrom sale. You know it's going to happen at some point. Um, it's not going to be an <laughs> annual thing necessarily, but you want to take advantage of it when it does occur. I, that's not what I was expecting you to say. I think no. for a lot of listeners, we're not expecting that. Why are other people worried if you're so excited? You're looking forward to it. I'm not necessarily looking forward to it, but it's just <laughs> okay. a confidence of knowing that there is a strategy in place for when it does occur where we can help our clients see this, again, as an opportunity to benefit them over the long term. In long term. Mm -hmm. So if you buy on sale, the market goes down, you buy and sell good because you're going to hold it for the long term. Exactly. What is long term to you? How do you define that? Probably beyond five years, we would say long term. So when you look at a client's asset allocation, especially clients that are getting closer to retirement, you know, we're going through the conversation with them now of showing, hey, you have X amount of money in bonds and cash. So if we do have another market downturn, you have enough cash to get you for about three years out of a market downturn where you can recover and okay. not have to touch your equities or sell them when they're low. So this is people in their 60s, 70s, mm -hmm. near in retirement. But you're kind of suggesting everybody else 
this isn't such a bad thing. No, and it, really everyone should have a small position in bonds, and it just depends on people's risk tolerance and their goals over the long term. But even myself, I'm in my early 30s, I have my own allocation to bonds, and just because I want that opportunity to buy more equities when they're on sale. And if you don't have that allocation to bonds, you're not really going to have that opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're you're super risk tolerant, and it sounds like. Mm, I think I would like to say I'm more risk tolerant, but I am definitely still a little bit more risk averse when it comes to making decisions. Okay. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about is kind of the textbook right answer. Long term, you don't have to worry about the short term pitfalls. Right. Would you follow your own advice, I wonder? You're okay with riding it out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at all the previous market downturns when they occurred. So even 0809. It yeah. only took about three and a half years for the markets to recover. I'm not sure if that's exactly right, but I think approximately, like yeah, it yeah. wasn't that bad. So it's like sure. during, I mean, if it seems like ride it out. if you can ride it out, it seems like a long time when you're in the thick of it. But I think looking back on it and just seeing how history has kind of repeated itself. Yeah. yeah that's, so that 29 and mm-hmm. then 08, those yeah. are the two biggest ones. Yeah. And the 01. Yeah. You know, so just and even in the 80s when there the bond crisis, I guess, yeah, occurred. Yeah, the late 80s. Yeah. yeah. So it just usually took about two to three years to recover. Right. Mm-hmm. When we had a 10% dip at the beginning of 2018. Right. Yeah. And that was over in a month, I yeah. think, or two months. Mm-hmm. So even 10% seems like a lot. If you're worth a million dollars, that's $100,000 you lost sure. in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then you made it right back. Yeah. This maybe is intuitive to someone who is in the financial planning world. Mm-hmm. Is this how your clients see it? We try to get them to share the same mindset, but whether or not they wake up in the middle of the night worrying about it, I don't know. I don't hear calls about it, so I would hope that oh, it's not happening. If someone's struggling with the emotions of the market volatility or has questions about where they should be putting their money, where should they go? What do you recommend? We would still encourage them to put their money into the equity market. If you don't, you're not going to keep up with inflation. So it's just finding that right balance where any money that you are you know you're going to need in the short term, long term is protected and that you are in an allocation that's going to be appropriate for your long term goals. New clients that come to us that have been, that took their money out of the market during the 0809 downturn and still are still all in cash. And for 10 years, for 10 years, because they just have not known when to put it back in. So here we are 10 years out, knowing that we are due for a market correction at some point. But we're still encouraging them to buy into the equity market. It may not be as high of an allocation as we would have recommended even a year ago, but it's still getting them in because it could be another one to two years before that correction occurs, and they still would have missed out on that growth. Oh, sure. I was thinking back in 2015 we were due for a correction. Right. Oh, no. We've been thinking that all along. and Yeah, I, I yeah. didn't. I'm kind of the poster child for misbehaving in a little way. So I didn't put money in the stock market. I, can, I held it off to the side. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I ended up costing myself about $10,000. Right. Yeah. Just because I didn't put it in. Even It seemed too high to me at the time, mm-hmm. but here we are. For those people who stayed in cash since 08, they missed out. I think the stock market has tripled yeah. since the bottom in 2008. So for some people, that's hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. or millions of dollars lost. And this is really where they would have benefited from having that professional partner kind of hold their hands during that downturn because none of our clients sold out of the equities during 0809. 
we were helping them buy in with the bonds that they were holding within their portfolios through the rebalancing that we were doing behind the scenes. So if someone's working with a professional partner, it's very unlikely that they would have sold out and not know when to get their money back in. Right. And we sometimes think of financial advisors as being the knowledge expert, but so much of what we advisors do is the emotional coaching. Mm -hmm. I think people know I should keep my money in the stock market, but God, is that ever hard? Yeah. I think investing, especially for people, it's so emotional. It's your nest egg. It's what you've worked so hard for. You've spent even 10 years out of college thinking about what this money means for the long term. People that have been working, my parents are in their 60s. That's 40 years of saving for retirement. It's extremely emotional. But it's important to take the emotion out of investing, and it's hard to do that. So just having a very tactical academic strategy in place so you know when to buy and sell, that's super important. You can kind of let go of the wheel a little bit and just let the art do its thing. Right. And then go live your life. Right. Alden, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, of course. Alden is a certified financial planner and partner at Elwood and Getz. If you're ready to work with an advisor, head over to letsmakeaplan.org to find a CFP in your area. Yeah, she was uh, pretty positive about the Dow markets. Yeah, I was myself surprised by that. (laughs) Uh, Now, she was talking about people in their 30s and 40s. That's really where her focus is on. But for some people, down markets really are bad. We are painting kind of a rosy picture that does not apply to everybody. Yeah, for instance, if you retired in 2008... Yeah, it may not have been the best year for you. Or if you sold everything in 2008, right? Yeah, if you sold everything in 08, you cashed out. A lot of those people didn't cash back in. Alden was telling the story of one client still not in the market after 10 years. You know, we do the money dogs thing here at the University of Georgia. And one of the relatives of one of our campers had mentioned that one of the biggest regrets that they had made was they had gotten out of the market and they had never gotten back in. That period after was the 10-year window to make any strides that they needed to make in order to be able to um, live with a little bit more financial independence than they have now. Closing in on retirement, down markets can be a real problem. We've got to take a break now. When we return, we'll talk about that risk of facing down markets in retirement. Nothing Funny About Money is supported by listeners like you. You can find more information about how you can support public radio at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and wuga.org. Welcome back. I'm Matt Gorin. I'm here with Michael Thomas and Danny Kofke. We're talking about down markets. And as you close in on retirement, managing the risk of stock volatility is more important than at any other time in your life. To talk more about that risk, we've got an expert on the show, Joe Ezernak. He's the CEO of Trademark Capital, an investment management firm that specializes in managing downside risk for retirees. All over your company's website, I see protect your investments from risk. Mm -hmm. Risk, risk, risk. Why are we not focusing on better returns? So if somebody comes to our site and they're concerned about risk, they're going to gravitate towards our message. So what kind of person is that? Who's drawn to your message? To me, there's two types of people drawn to it. You're on, on one hand, you have somebody who doesn't trust the system. 
be it they're not educated enough, they don't know enough about um, investing, they don't know enough about finance, they don't know words the 401k confuses them, they'll drift towards being more cautious. Then you also have your mature investor, and that's somebody that they no longer see percentage signs. They never walk up and say, hey, my account was up 10% or my account was down 10%. They're going to come and say, my account was down $75,000. I don't know if I can handle it anymore. And and, and to me, (laughs) They have a bigger pot of money by that point. They have a bigger pot of money, and percentages are meaningless at that point. It's all dollar signs and higher emotion. Hmm. So I'm going to borrow a percentage real quick. Mm-hmm. 2008, stock market goes down 40%. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about someone in the cusp of retirement. Yes. What does that do to someone's financial future when they lose 40%? We saw what happened. We had record amount of outflows in March of 2009 because it's the retail investor that creates market bottoms. They capitulate. So we had so many people emotionally move out of their investments Well, they lock in that loss. So they take it all the way down. They couldn't emotionally handle the losses anymore. And now they miss the entirety of the recovery. Yeah, because the stock market has at least doubled since uh, that bottom in 2009. So that's a great question, though. I mean, it was bad enough that there was a Senate hearing about it. And um, if you look at it beyond the percentages to say somebody is down over 30 percent in their retirement account, that represents over decades of savings. Wow. Think about that. Your yeah. last 10 years of work, you've made your most money, you've put the most away, and it's gone. Yeah, for what? What did I work 10 years for? Exactly. So what does that do to someone's mental health then? What's that emotional feeling by the time maybe you speak with them? And there's hopelessness, basically. I give up. Can you help me? And the sad part about it is, is when I have these conversations, it's too late. Hmm. I believe that financial success is the foundation for all success, even your health. If you can't pay for health care, if you can't pay for good nutrition, if you can't pay your mortgage, if you can't pay for the care that you need when you're older. And so when this is disrupted, I mean, it's the, the mental health aspects of it are tremendous. Yeah. Everything has been disrupted. Mm-hmm. You focus on managing risk at Trademark Capital. What do you do differently than another investment manager? Somebody's success investing has more to do with their birth date than anything else. So there's luck in that draw. And we try to mitigate the birthday luck. I mean, <laughs> if you started work back in you know the mid-'80s and retired out, I mean, there's nothing you could have done wrong. Just put money in the market. You'd been just fine. If you retire in the year 2000, the reverse is true. There's right. nothing you could do right. We basically flip some of the modern portfolio theory type formulas where instead of ending with expected return, we end with expected risk in a narrow window. So throw some jargon at me because I, I don't think you're just throwing people in index funds. It doesn't sound like that. Or well, maybe it is. Yeah, it's a combination. During a market cycle, I want to do what's A, what fits into their objective, and B, the best use of their capital. And this past bull market, the vast majority of it has been in indexing. And it's been fun for us because we could get low-cost investments for our clients. Yep. So that's great. I think the environment is starting to shift. 
some of the more smart beta or maybe the more active products are now at a point where I believe they're going to start adding value. Right. So in- indexing is part of it. it Let's is. use the specific hypothetical example of my parents who uh, they're both – what are they now? 62? I'm looking at you like you know. <laughs> 62, almost 63. They're still young. Yeah, they're young. They want to retire. At, well, my mom has already retired mm-hmm. as being a school teacher. My dad mm-hmm. is going to retire at 65. Mm-hmm. So they're close. Yeah. What might off the top of your head you say? For the average couple in America, this is the retirement red zone. This is when emotions get high. This is when things get scary. This is when you're excited when the market goes up, but you're really scared when it goes down. Oh, yeah. And I talked to my dad about this. I've noticed him do some silly things Mm -hmm. where the market goes up and he has a feeling like it's reached its peak. Mm -hmm. He took some large pot of money that was in stocks completely to cash. Mm -hmm. And then the market goes down a couple points. Great. Let me throw Mm -hmm. all that cash right back in. Mm -hmm. We're talking about maybe a third of all of their wealth that he's in, out, in, out. That doesn't sound like good practice to me. It doesn't, and it's scary. A bad mistake with a third of your wealth is not recoverable. You know, he needs to know what my goals are and why. Why do I have these goals? And what's going to get me to these goals? Is being an active trader with a third of my wealth based on my feelings going to get me to that goal? Probably not. Probably not. (laughs) And I have a feeling for your parents to become, you know, very clear, okay, this doesn't. This is counterproductive. I might have been right this past few times, but that's luck. It's not skill. It needs to be managed to my risk and goals, and it needs to stay there. I don't need to take it in and out. It's okay to adjust down risk if it's done for the right reasons and it's not done as a timing mechanism. It's done with a principled approach over long periods of time. Are there other strategies like that that you use that people might not be familiar with? Under the hood, we're not doing anything crazy or things that most people haven't heard of. I think that what really kind of makes us different in managing risk is looking at the expected risk of the near-term market. Are we in the cone of probability for high losses? And if we are, we could pull back risk a little bit. We gauge it down a little bit to where we think is an appropriate risk level for somebody's goals. But we're not using crazy hedge funds to do this. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. We're not using some alternative that somebody's never heard of. We're not using illiquid assets to make this happen. And some of our more special cases where it really fits in with a high net worth client and and it perfectly fits in what they're going to do, that's fine. That level of customization is fine. But for your average everyday investor, lift the hood, you're going to see a lot of indexing. Things that you might not know about immediately, but Mm -hmm. that are intuitive. Mm -hmm. And that if you're sitting across the table from someone, they'll be able to walk you through this is what we're doing with your money. Yes. We're, it's not in some crazy account somewhere. That's right. Well, that sounds good then. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is worried about a market crash soon, mm-hmm. if someone is panicking, what's your thoughts right now? You need to consider your situation. Number one, in pure non-emotional terms, if you're outside of seven years from retirement or your goal, 
then bear markets are nothing to worry about. And if you're just getting started investing, you want a bear market. You could buy a lot more <laughs> for a lot less. And But our psychology, we're not able to view those losses in a logical manner. Uh, you know about loss aversion with your background. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it that losses hurt two and a half times more than a gain feels good? Yeah, though they feel awful. That's why you see the herd move all together. Yep. We call it capitulation in our little office, but you can see the numbers, you can see the outflows. And so you need professional help before you make changes. You're not going to go up Mount Everest alone. Well, your retirement is just as important as the training that you need and the equipment that you need, the guides that you need to have a successful retirement. You need that professional Sherpa to get through it safely. There you go. Well, I think that is great advice. If you are worried about risk in your investments, get your own professional Sherpa. That's right. Have someone guide you (laughs) down that mountain. Well, thanks, Joe, so much for being on our show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Joe Ezernak, CEO of Trademark Capital. Why do most people have accidents as they're climbing mountains? Because they don't have the ropes and stuff? No. Most people only plan to go up. They don't plan to get down. And this is exactly what happens with retirees. So in our profession, we do a lot to help people get up the mountain. But once you've gotten this nest egg or whatever you have, you need help managing how to scale it down as well. Throughout most of your life, you should be investing in stocks and index funds where those stocks are. But as you get closer and closer to retirement, it's important to tone down the risk by shifting increasingly into bonds and even cash, things that don't make you all that much money on your own, but as Michael's saying, help you get down off the mountain. And again, this is just speaking to the profession, and I really want to sell the profession here. There are individuals who are out here that are here to help you navigate this process. And if by visiting someone to look at your allocations and how to most effectively allocate, what your drawdown strategy is going to be, if you do that twice a year and that saves you hundreds of thousand dollars on the back end that you have for maybe longevity needs or you want to give money away, there is significant value in the financial planning and counseling profession. So we're talking about this stuff, but just know that you do not have to do this alone and that there are professionals who are out there who would love to make sure that everything that you've worked for, you are able to live the rest of your life with dignity and be able to pass something along to future generations. This is not something that you have to do by yourself. No, nor should you. I have an advisor that I go to to try to help me out so I'm not doing it by myself and get someone else's advice. Like, I can't objectively see my situation, (laughs) right, as objectively as I can see somebody else's. So I actually have covering just like you do. And we need to share that type of information because we just don't do this stuff alone. And we know about this stuff. If you are looking for help from an advisor, check out letsmakeaplan.org or look into groups of fiduciary advisors like the XY Planning Network and NAPFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Big fan of NAPFA. Not ready to work with an advisor? Well, that's kind of what we're here for. If you're having trouble with any of this, reach out. Visit nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and send us a message. Just look to the right side of the page. We're happy to help over email, phone, or even in person. And if you help at an organization, we love to speak to an audience. We've given talks literally coast to coast and want to hear from you too. And if you're feeling philanthropic, please head over to our website, 
and click on the donate button at the top of the page. Or if you work for a financial services company, pledge your support for public radio and financial education. Become an underwriter of the show. Is that it? I think so. Thanks again, as always, to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, and our audio engineer, Garrett Burke. Thanks also to Alden Mergenthal at Elwood and Getz, my friend Hasem Hollowby up in Chicago, and Joe Ezernak, the CEO of Trademark Capital. And thank you for listening. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. This show is recorded in the studios of WUGA Athens on the University of Georgia campus. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org.